Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. everybody welcome to a brand new what's going down here on patreon ad free or with ads everywhere else and um, my name is kenny mactosh joined as always by mr finley martin and finn this is the second week in a row where we recorded on uh thursday and by the time we recorded on the tuesday there's obviously lots of stuff to talk about last week was sadly the, the death of ray wyatt um, and this week is the pass the passing the firing of cm punk in AEW which is kind of old news now. It was announced on Saturday. Um, for, first of all, I, you know, I'm not, I've not, I'm, you've not said anything, Finn. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, you know, it occurred to me, like, somebody I remember asked me, I don't know whether I actually, did we cover this on the podcast or maybe we covered it in the magazine? And they wrote in at the end of 2022 and said, this has been the craziest year ever. Can you, can, could, is it conceivable that 2023 <laughs> could be even you know, more out there than 2022. And, and I think it has been. Yeah, because when we talked about, you were talking about how, you know, 2001 will always be the year to beat of kind of yeah. so much stuff That's happening. It. You know, with massive, obviously, CW and WCW going to the wall and WWF buying them and all the other stuff. So yeah, 2001 is, I mean, it's a high bar that I don't think it will ever be reached because it was so consequential for the business on so many levels, well, on a level much higher than what we're going to be talking about in a moment. Yeah. But this has still been, I mean, what a year it's been for news stories, Kenny. 
Yeah, it's funny because obviously we, you know, we do the, the almanac as part of what we do at Inside the Ropes. And when the almanac started in kind of 2019, 2020, or the, for the 2020, 2021 year, it was like, you know, you do the top 10 news stories of the year. And the problem with 2022 and 2023 is that like, you know, there's, there's the top 10 stories of each quarter, you know, really of like, because so much happens in one calendar year that sometimes, you know, somebody will bring something up and then you totally forget that that happened. Like, I remember somebody was talking recently about, you know, Jeff Hardy's, you know, DUI and, and leave of absence from AEW. And that feels like years ago. But in reality, <clears throat> it was what, six months ago? Something like that. It wasn't, it wasn't that long. Um, so yeah, there's so many stories. But um, let's talk about the punk, the punk thing. So obviously he had been kind of, he was still being advertised for collision shows on AEW's social media platforms when yeah. they were promoting, like, you know, we're going to Indianapolis in October or whatever. Um, but Tony Khan opened collision um, looking like a hostage on screen, as it usually does. Um, <laughs> and th- this is what he said, Finn. I wanted to just get his verbiage out to you before I get your thoughts. So he said, today I had to make one of the toughest decisions of my professional career. Today I terminated Phil Brooks' CM Punk for cause. This stems from a backstage incident at All In last Sunday. The incident was regrettable and it endangered people backstage. That includes the production staff, the people who put the show on every week, innocent people who had nothing to do with it. I've been going to wrestling shows for over 30 years. I've been producing them on this network for over four years. Never in all that time have I felt until last Sunday that my security, my safety, my life was in danger at a wrestling show. I don't think anybody should be made to feel that way at work. I don't think people I work with should feel that way. And I had to make a very difficult choice today. It came at the recommendation of a disciplinary, a, a disciplined committee here in AEW, as well as outside legal counsel. They delivered a unanimous recommendation, and I followed up on that recommendation. I'm sorry to any fan who's upset by this. I'm sorry to anyone who is upset by this. And then he goes on to talk about how this is the greatest week in AEW history, and um, <laughs> settled the video, settled the video for all in um, recap. Um, you know, I, I know that you know maybe we're suffering from punk fatigue that we're always talking about him. But um, yeah, what did, you, what did you think of this news? Did did Tony make the right call here? Do you think? Um, I mean, it's like pick a side, isn't it? We've said this before. It's so tribal and so polarized in the views that people have, mm-hmm. and it's like this bizarre sort of ideology, isn't it? It's like, well, you're either on our side, you're either with us or you're against us. And if you say something that deviates from, you know, our group think, then we hate you. Mm. You know, it's just like, remember when CM Punk, it's just over two years since he arrived. Yep. And like the AEW fans were treating him like he was like the Messiah, weren't they? Mm-hmm. And like now those same fans are like, well, you know, he was he was a pain in the ass, wasn't he? I mean, that's the response, isn't it? It's like, well, I never liked him. You know, uh, and like you've got these People, oh, <laughs> it's hilarious. He's been fired. All these people seem to think it's like this big joke that he's gone. Um, I don't know, really know what to make of any of it, Kenny. I mean, it's, I mean, Tony Khan made that statement. I wasn't backstage. We've all read and heard various reports of how it was. Um, I did notice there was that photo that was posted online after the Punk and Samoa Joe match in Wembley. Yeah, with Jerry Lynn and Paul Turner, the referee, and Punk and Joe, all looking very happy. Exactly, looking very relaxed. 
I mean, there wasn't like security circling or, you know, police didn't have them on the floor handcuffed. You know, they didn't have to call MI5 in or something like that, you know, to restrain punk. So that, you know, definitely deviates from what Tony Khan said. But I mean, I wasn't backstage. So what can I say about how Tony or others felt? I mean, it's it's really hard to know what to say, Kenny. Because what do you do? Do you take a side and do you do you become entrenched in your views and pick the good guy and pick the good pick the good guy and pick the bad guy? And that's what it's all come to. And yeah. you know, that's where we're at now. And it's very, you know, as I say, very tribal. And like the views on this among many people, not everyone, but among many, it's like very there's no flexibility at all. It's either you either think this way or we don't like you and we're gonna bury you. Um, I mean, the best thing I can say about it is that Tony has taken a stand. He's made a decision. He's done what I didn't think he was going to do and predict he wouldn't do, which was, you know, grow a spine, take a difficult decision um, and, and, and do something to hopefully restore harmony backstage. Um, and that's, I believe, what he's done. I think he's, I don't know, he's... He's, he's obviously done this in the best interests of like ending this saga and the drama and you know all the trouble backstage. He doesn't want it anymore, and I can totally understand why he doesn't. There's no point really going over what he should have done last year to prevent all this from happening. We've discussed that endlessly. I've written about it. Lots of people have written about it. Lots of people have discussed it. You know, that's akin to shutting the band door after the horse after the horse has bolted. So he couldn't do anything about that because he created this situation in the first place by not being tough and not addressing it when it first kicked off. We've gone over that. Yeah. But I mean, at least now he has made a decision and he has um, fired CM Punk, Phil Brooks, because he feels like he's the problem here. You know, he's the fly in the ointment. He's the person that just was the constant source of drama backstage and that is definitely true he was always at the center of it wasn't he kenny yeah no no he, he was i mean the, the the only thing i think is recent that kind of is worth just mentioning that is an example i think of what tony can and his management team need to do differently is the the story about the idea that punk there, there was supposedly going to be a meeting last week in duluth where the go home all all in tapings were or two weeks ago um, yeah, and there was going to be a meeting with Punk and the Elite, but according to the Elite, they were asked, you know, you're in the same place as him. Will you just sit down with him? And they said no. But according to Punk's side, he was led to believe the meeting was happening, and then it was cancelled. And it's like I've saw a lot of people making a really fair point on social media where they were saying, you know, if you work for a company, usually if your boss calls a meeting and the meeting's happening, it's not a here is a optional thing. But that's where I mean, I don't know this for fact. I imagine that there is something legal that allows some of the parties involved to not have to meet with 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 each other. Because yeah. otherwise you would think, you know, Tony Khan would Otherwise just it would have already happened, wouldn't it? Long before now. Yeah, exactly. So I almost think that's the only explanation because even though Tony Khan, in a lot of ways, doesn't seem to be able to fix issues quickly... I do think if he could, if if he had the power to just get them in a room, he would have by now. Um, but 
Yeah, but I think I mean, we've discussed this before, Kenny. I mean, as we know, Hangman, Kenny Omega, Young Bucks, their contracts, they recently collectively extended them. I think the negotiations concluded at the end of August, I believe. Oh, sorry, end of July, I believe it was. Yep, yep. End of July, they announced it didn't the early August. And, um, and if I was Tony, just sorry, if I was Tony Khan in that scenario, and I'm going, right, okay, I'm paying these guys all them seven figures, right? I'd be saying, right, I'll pay you the, the seven figures, but what I need from you is a, a, a mediation meeting with Punk. I need you all yes. to get on the same page. And then yeah, you the can time, get all your money. Yeah, the time to do it was when you were in that period of negotiations, when you had the leverage over this talent. You know, and they would have to, I mean, it's all about cutting a deal, it's all about compromise. We know that. Yeah. You know, everyone has to give a little. You know, and if no one gives a little and one side gives everything and the other side gives nothing, that just leads to resentment. Or it's a bad deal in the first place and shouldn't have been struck. Especially when you're Tony Khan, you're AW boss and you've got all the power. I mean, Omega and Hangman were never going to WWE. I mean, Young Bucks might have done if things had gotten really, really, you know, hostile and unpleasant for them in AEW. But I think it was unlikely that they were going to go there either because yeah. it, it would have been such a risk for them as talent and would have required them to wrestle far more matches than they have done for years now. So I don't think they were ever seriously going to WWE. So Tony Khan could have insisted that, that they do that. And that's what he should have done. And this should have been, they should have all been there in the room and they should have all been sorting this out and discussing it like adults and professionals. We've been through this, Kenny, many times, and now it's not going to happen because Punk's been fired. So, I mean, people are going to discuss this endlessly for literally years. <laughs> it's just going to go on and on and on and on and on. And, you know, people can choose, you know, which side are you on? I'm not on anyone's side. I just think it's, I think this was inevitable in hindsight and, you know, I'm not saying I agree with Tony Khan's decision because, you know, I was saying last week, oh, you know, Jack Perry should be fired for basically instigating the incident with Punk. And I stand by that. You know, I mean, I just felt that that was outrageous that he did that at Wembley Stadium. And it was. And I believe he's indefinitely suspended. And so he should be. But it's strange that Punk's been fired and like Perry hasn't yet. He's still there. And it's like you can read your own. You can read what you want into that, into whose side Tony's on, if Tony's on anyone's side. Um, but I mean, the best thing I can say about this is that Tony has taken a stand. He's made a decision, you know, and as a leader, sometimes you've got to make difficult decisions. And he's made this one. And um, and I respect him for that. I don't know whether I necessarily agree with the decision, but I respect him for making a decision. That's the point here is yeah. that he's done something that was difficult. And I think it's something that had to happen. Someone had to go because that situation, the climate, the backstage atmosphere could not continue. It just couldn't. I think we said last week, there's going to be a kickoff. Well, the kickoff was at Wembley Stadium and that was the final straw. And Tony made the decision to sack Punk and um, and continue his organisation without him. And we'll see if it ends up being the right decision in the long run. Um, I mean, I don't know about that. We shall see. But I absolutely understand why he did it. And, you know, I imagine for many, <laughs> not everyone, 
But for many, backstage, I'm sure AEW is a far more harmonious place than it was two weeks ago. Yeah, 100%. One thing I just wanted to read out before we move on, because I think it's just an interesting, if you read between the lines here, I think there's more to what's being said here, because there's, there's a, a headline that's going around um, from Mark Henry on Busted Open Radio saying, you know, the problem is solved kind of thing. But I want to read you his full quote of what he said here on Busted Open Radio and see what you think. So what uh, Mark Henry said was, now you can freely go and there will be no more complaining. There should be no more complaining. The problem is gone. The so-called problem is. Everything should be shits and giggles and unicorn pee and rainbow blankets. That's what it should be now. I'm curious to see how it's going to be. The problem is solved. And it's interesting. You know, he's he's there. You know, he's at TV. So, I mean, I guess we'll see. Is, is it all harmonious now for the next six months? We'll see. We'll see if Punk was the, the sole problem. But, um, yeah, TK's made his decision. Um, last question about it. Do you think CM Punk is going to end up in WWE? Um, I mean, maybe. Um, I mean, I, th- I don't know, really. Does he want it? Do they want him? We know Seth Rollins and others there will be opposed to the company's decision to hire him. But if WWE does hire him, he'll be brought in and the conversations that should have been had with CM Punk when he returned to AEW will be had with Punk before he ever appears backstage. I imagine Punk and Rollins will be, you know, will have a meeting or a conversation or they will, something will be done to make sure that that doesn't erupt into a argument or you know, scuffle or whatever backstage. You know, steps will be taken to ensure that those two can work together harmoniously if they need to. I'm sure they I'm sure they will be because it's a very regimented system backstage in WWE. And you've got that chain of command, which obviously you didn't have in AEW. Lots of people have tried to say, oh well, you know, discipline was there in AEW. Well no it wasn't because if it was, Jack Perry would never have started mouthing off to a bunch of agents about using real glass. And when they told him not to do it, he would have listened to them and said, right, okay, you know, you're the boss, fair enough. You know, I was just making my point and I understand that that's forbidden from use in this angle. And, you know, there wouldn't have even been a conversation. He would have just followed the order. He would have obeyed, you know, and this isn't, we're not talking about, you know, that we haven't entered the world of they live here, but, you know, you have a chain of command and you have to have a chain of command. And if you don't have that, then, the, as I said last week, the machine breaks down. It doesn't work. Yeah. And it, then it, by having rules and boundaries backstage, it means that junior members of talent, you know, do not start arguments with senior members of talent. It's that simple. You know, it's just that simple. You know, it'd be like the back of bad old days of, you know, someone you know, giving The Undertaker a hard time backstage when he was locker room leader. That wasn't going to happen because whoever that talent was, they knew that they would be fired or suspended or, you know, buried or whatever. It would never have come to that. So I think if Punk does go back, I think it will all be very um, carefully managed by WWE. And I think um, any grievances or tensions or, you know, problems will be ironed out or as ironed out as much as they can be before he is allowed backstage. I mean, 
does he want it? Does he need the money? Does he need the hassle? You know, is, what is he now? 44? Is he 45? Is he coming up 45? I think he's 45 in October. He right now is 44. Yeah, he'll be 45 think... in October. Yes. So, I mean, does he want it? Does he need the hassle? I mean, if I were him, I definitely want to cut a deal with WWE to do a merch deal, maybe Hall of Fame, maybe a couple of matches, maybe at WrestleMania match, you know, with Kevin Owens or whoever. Somebody that he likes and respects and that he know he can get along with and that he know will be not trying to pull a fast one or going to business for himself at CM Punk's expense and will actually be wanting to work with him for the betterment of both of them and, you know, so his career can have this, you know, happy ending, so to speak. I mean, it's hard for me to believe that CM Punk wants to go out like this. You know what I mean? It just the, feels... The, the ego part of you. I mean, it feels like more the reason he would do the WWE thing is the ego part, because... Yeah, and, and to stick it to AEW as well. Yeah, because, I mean, there is, and again, it's like what you said earlier, so I'm trying to not be too much, you know, it is kind of like you end up picking a side by just arguing anything in this scenario. But, you know, somebody had said to me, you know, Punk, he left wrestling the way that he didn't want to before. He came yeah. back. He thought it was going to be this big trustworthy. I'm just saying what his perspective would be. I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong. But, like, his perspective, he thought, well, this is going to be different. It's going to be trustworthy. He was good pals with the Young Bucks. He came in, and then all of a sudden this guy on TV puts this promo about his long-standing feud with his old pal, which brings up all the court stuff from WWE that he's trying to forget about. Then he gives him a return shot. Then it gets worse. Then we've got the whole uh, brawl situation. Then he's basically ostracized um, while the others are allowed back on TV to make fun of him by doing his finishing move and doing botched clotheslines to make him look bad. And yeah. then he comes back, and they refuse to meet with him. They refuse in any way to deal with him whatsoever. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he publicly states that he that he wants to do this. He wants to reconcile. Yep, he's put this out in the public domain that he's willing to do this, and still they refuse to um, grace him with their presence. You know, they refuse to have anything to do with him. Yeah, um, and, it, and of course, it all culminates to we get to Wembley. And this prelim guy is just able to go out and say what he wants about him. It's like, so, I mean, from his perspective, I think, and then for him to sort of be, and look, I'm, I'm not condoning physical violence. I know you don't either. But no. I think from Punk's side, you know, he, I assume he's not going to agree with the chain of events that Tony Khan has said in, in that collision statement. And in some ways, was Tony Khan saying he felt dangerous for his life more about protecting AEW for any potential lawsuit than it would be actually that he was he feared for his life? You know, that could also be an element of it. So, I mean, yeah. it's a mess, though. It's a big mess. It, it, it is a big mess. I mean, to me, Omega, the books, and Page, it's four against one. They should have granted Punk an audience once. And I think they showed him, you know, pretty, you know, appalling disrespect by not meeting with him once so that they could attempt to air their grievances and reconcile, shake hands, put it behind them for the good of the company that Omega and Page and the Young Bucks are making a hell of a lot of money from for working a part-time schedule. And I really feel like if you're an AEW 
hardliner and you can't see the Omega page in the books, let the side down there, then I think you need to open your eyes because they did. They absolutely let the side down and they should have been professionals. They should have agreed to meet with him. God, have like a dozen security guards there if you want. It could have been set up in old sort of, you could have done it over Zoom. <laughs> Maybe not over Zoom. And you know what, someone, you know what? Would someone would have recorded it and put it on the internet. I know, we, we all would have watched it. But the thing is, if, it had, if you had met him and he was a dick to you, then you've proven your point. You go, look, we exactly. tried. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they, they had no interest in it. It's, you know, they're doing victory laps at Collision and all that. It's, you know. So, anyway, we'll, we'll see where Punk ends up. We'll see if he ends up um, making a comment anywhere or doing anything anywhere to discuss this. I mean, yeah. I, I will say this, you know, it's like, Imagine <laughs> this is not happening, by the way, in case anyone thinks that I'm, you know, say me and CM Punk were doing a tour tomorrow. I would need to really be thinking about what's said on that stage because it's, it's way bigger than just interviewing somebody. It's, you know, liable potential stuff because of who's involved, you know. It's a, it's a, so, you know, we remember the last time when he did the, the Colt Cabana podcast, what a lawsuit came out of that. So, yeah. It's whoever interviews him is going to have to have a, a big legal team behind them just to be safe. Um, anyway, let's move on because we've got loads to get through. Um, yeah. we're, we're going to try and get through a bit of SmackDown, payback, and then a bit of all out. So, with SmackDown, kind of a forgotten show now because it was on Friday in Hershey before payback. But give me the, a couple of things that st- stood out to you from SmackDown that are worth giving a mention to. I mean, obviously, the return of John Cena has got to be a big one, Finn, your well- favourite. Yes, John Cena was back. He's going to have his first match ever in India. And John's really excited about that. Um, Jimmy Uzo joined him. Fans chanted, we want Jay. Uh, There was a Jimmy and Cena confrontation. Um, Jimmy turned, the mood turned sour, of course. Jimmy threw a super kick at Cena, who caught it and then effortlessly dumped Jimmy on the mat with the AA, or rather the FU. That was definitely an FU to Jimmy there. I was just <laughs> having flashbacks to the Cena of old, to the bad old days of 10 years ago, you know, and the ease with which Cena dispatched Jimmy here. I guess it doesn't matter, really. Um, other things on the show, I thought Austin Theory and Grayson Waller made a really good team against Rey Mysterio and Santos Escobar. Uh, Waller pinned Escobar. Um, after Escobar had basically taken a shot for Ray in the match. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like maybe Theory and Waller, they're uh, maybe preparing them to be a team. What do you think to those two as a team, Kenny? I mean, I think on their own, they're not really going anywhere, so it can't hurt to maybe put them together and try it out. Their characters kind of are aligned, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought they I thought they worked really well together, like a promo backstage. I thought they bounced off each other really well. Um, it seemed like there was um, Adam. There was a segment backstage that seemed like uh, they were taking a shot at CM Punk. <laughs> um, Pierce, Adam Pierce said to Jimmy backstage, "You can't go around being rude to everyone." <laughs> that shot CM Punk there, maybe. <laughs> well, wait, did you see? Did you see Grayson Waller's tweet following the show? No. Following payback. So after payback, he put this. Um, Obviously, you know, he got hit by Jay Uso. And uh, he put this tweet up where he said, I can't believe I've been hit in an unprovoked attack backstage, you know, by, by a man who wasn't even supposed to be there. 
and he's icing himself with a can of Pepsi. Very funny. Fantastic. You know, you know why it's funny? Because he's not an EVP. That's why. Anyway. I mean, maybe, up... you know, maybe Adam Pearce was laying out the ground, ground rules there, Kenny, for CM Punk's return. You know, which is what Tony should have done in the first place. <laughs> I think it's I think it's a bad sign when a, a fictional character in WWE is giving Punk more rules than Tony Khan, who was his boss for two years. <laughs> so, um, uh, I mean, we had a, a Miz LA Knight segment, which I thought was pretty good. I mean, Knight almost lost it at one point on his promo when he was talking about uh, you know, having like slept in his car and living in cockroach-infested apartments and cashing his checks at those check-cashing places. He almost lost it there. But <laughs> I think he did turn it round, and I thought this was a really good segment. I thought Knight really showed a lot of intensity here. And I think this this whole feud, which appears to have ended actually at Payback, has actually really done a lot of good for Miz. I think he's shown that he still wants to be there. He's still got it, and he can still bring it. So I enjoyed that. Um, Bailey and Shotzi wasn't much of a match. Charlotte Flair came out at the end. Um, I mean, it was a customarily half-hearted running. Clobbered <laughs> your sky and then helped Shotzi win. I mean, at least Shotzi won the match. I mean, she would have been doomed had she lost this match to Bailey. Yeah. And then in the end, uh, Solo Sokoa defeated AJ Styles. Didn't feel like Styles was over and the match was pretty flat, actually. And Sokoa won with help from Jimmy. So, um, mm, yeah, we'll see uh, We'll see where that goes. But I thought it was it was kind of an average SmackDown. What did you think, Kenny? Yeah, I thought it's it an average show. I think it, it always hurts when there's these SmackDowns the night before the, the PLE because kind of by Monday, nobody's talking about SmackDown anymore. So... I think they did a decent enough job of kind of highlighting some stuff that wasn't going to be on uh, payback, like Solo Sokoa and Jimmy and stuff. Um, while kind of, you know, it's having Cena there, Cena announced he's going to be the host of payback. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought it was a decent enough show. But, I mean, it was a forgettable episode overall. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there was nothing on there that was really, really upset me. And Cena was, I mean, Cena did this. I mean, well, Cena obviously did some strange stuff at, at payback. So, um, yeah, but I mean, I refuse to allow Cena to upset me anymore. He's, I'm just not going to allow it, Kenny. No, no matter how much he tries. Uh, let's move on to payback. Um, so we opened the show with Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus in a steel cage. We had uh, Tiffany Stratton, the NXT Women's Champ at ringside. She was shown on, on in, in the crowds. And uh, Becky and Trish go 20 minutes Uh Trish Stratus here in one of the performances of her career. That she Not the in. performance, by a mile. There you go. The per- I mean, at 47 years old, the fact that she did this is incredible. Oh, yeah. I mean, what a match. I mean, it really was. I mean, it was real basic stuff. They weren't trying. I mean, later in the match, they did try some quite complicated stuff. And everything they, they did actually look good. I don't think it was anything that was blown. Um, but it was just real basic stuff nailing each other, ramming each other into the cage, you know, just, you know, using this sort of lawless battleground. But, you know, there wasn't like a lot of props in there, which was refreshing as well. I mean, so often in cage matches and these type of matches, we've had tables and just all sorts of gimmicks in there. And they didn't have gimmicks. They just used the cage. And that was basically it, wasn't it? Yeah. So I thought that was really good. I mean, there was like tribute there to... um, 
uh, Lita when uh, Trish used, uh, sorry, when uh, Becky Lynch used the twist of fate. And um, there's also Widow's Widow's Peak in there. Victoria's old finisher. It was actually uh, it was actually very, very sweet because they they did that that Widow's Peak and Victoria actually put a video on Twitter. She was very emotional and she was kind of saying, you know, it means a lot to me that that Trish did that because Trish recognizes that they had a feud that was, you know, the biggest feud of Victoria's career. She helped Trish kind of have a bit more of a rough side than what she had before. So I think that was a very classy thing for Trish to do. Uh, that hopefully will, uh, you know, I mean, judging if Charmelle's in the Hall of Fame, you can put Victoria in, if that's the bar. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, I mean, by about halfway point of the match, uh, Lynch had rammed Trish's head into the cage so often that <laughs> she, she had a big lump on her forehead. Did yeah. you see that photo that Trish uh, posted of herself on her Instagram page, Kenny? I did. What a photo. I mean... Just she, she really went for it here, and she, and I don't think this is like a backwards compliment. It might sound like it, but I don't mean it to be. Trish didn't need to go this hard if she didn't no. want to. She could have got away with I'm Trish, I'm the legendary person, I'm older, whatever. But she, it was like she was going out here to prove a point that she can, she can go. And this, I mean, well, what we needed was you know John Bon Jovi shot down in a blaze of glory. <laughs> That's what we needed on the song soundtrack. I'm sorry, that's a bit of an ancient song now, but a great Trish will remember it. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you know, but even like the thing was, Trish wasn't being carried here by Becky the whole time. It wasn't that, that Trish was kind of just able to keep up. She was really keeping up her end of the bargain, which I thought was even more impressive about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, the crowd were with them from the very beginning. They recognised, I mean, this perfectly placed in the opening match slot. Huge match. If you have a huge match, in the opening slot, usually provokes a you know loud response, and this one did from start to finish. There was lots of things, parts of this match, which I just thought were you know so you know virtuoso. You know, like for instance, um, Trish hit this bulldog from the top rope and actually sold her backside before she then made the cover on Lynch, which is what you would do if you delivered that move. Yep. And you know there was like a lot of big moves here, like Lynch hit a superplex from the top rope. And Stratus just survived. Then Zoe Stark arrived and prevented Lynch from pinning Stratus with the manhandle slam. I like the camera work here. They had the camera in just the right spot where you'd have these sort of saves and like sudden moments. You're like, wow, we didn't see that coming. Yeah. And someone would just appear or something would just happen. You're like, oh, wow. You know, it wasn't telegraphed at all. It was a genuine surprise. Um, so in the end, Lynch took out Stark and then pinned Stratus. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
after a manhandle slam off the top rope. So, yeah, I thought this was this was the match of Tristratus's career by a mile. Um, and possibly Lynch's best match as well. I mean, she may have had better matches than this, possibly. I mean, maybe Shannon, NXT, maybe. But like, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. On the main roster, I can't think of anything that was as good as this in terms of the execution, the way it was received, you know, and the story they told as well. I mean, Trish was protected right up until the end. Obviously, she had the assistance there from Stark and everything. But yeah, it was it was a hell of a match. And then we had the post-match angle in which Trish yelled at Zoe Stark. Um, and she ended up um, you know, leveling Trish with C3, C360. So we had the split there, which felt like the time to do it because you know, Trish is disappearing off into the sunset and um you know to nurse her wounds lick her wounds you know i mean my god <laughs> what a <laughs> mess but yeah it was it was one of the it could have been the match of the night i think it probably was the match of the night actually i mean the uh the pittsburgh steel city street fight was really good uh but i think this was probably better yes i think this was absolutely match of the night hands down um we then had john cena coming out they actually, you might not have clocked us. We had the the pre-show on just because we were going to be watching the show live, and during the pre the kickoff show, during the mundane panel that they chat about nothing for an hour, they had a graphic that popped up that said, you know, the, the graphic along the bottom where they have like the match graphic and it's like one guy on the left hand side, one guy on the right, and they had yeah. Elliot and Miz, but they had Cena as the referee in the middle, and it and it went off straight away, like it popped up <laughs> for like ten seconds and then got rid of it. So they kind of spoiled that that was that was what he was going to be doing. So I mean, it was good for us though because we kind of had to accept our fate. <laughs> we had John Cena trying to be a referee coming up, so he came out as the host. Uh, I got to say, maybe ten percent. The hair is maybe ten percent better than it was. Um, it's still just. I mean, go to Turkey, John. You've got the money. The writers are striking. What else have you got to do? Exactly. And can um, the writers please get back to work and then Cena will go back to work. We don't have to put up with him in wrestling anymore. Actually, I said he's not going to, I'm not going to allow him to accept me. <laughs> um, I've almost reneged on that already. I know. Before we, so, so he does this whole promo, then Miz comes out. They actually have some pretty funny back and forth where Miz says that Cena sucks as a host and Cena says, you know, you've hosted a lot, you get any advice for me? And he's like, well, don't play the Merman in the Barbie movie. Um, and they go on and then uh, in the end, it ends up that you know Cena's going to be the referee. Gets the gets the, the shirt, and then we get Ellie Knight versus the Miz with John Cena as the referee. I mean, this match felt like it was five years long. It was so long, and it just felt like if if Knight could have disposed of Miz in like six or seven minutes, that would have been because this match this was not good enough to be this long. And then you've got the pantomime Dame trying to do the pinfall counts. I mean, that's exactly what it... But, but before the match, that's exactly... I've written it here. It was pantomime-esque. <laughs> it said to Cena, you're almost 50 years old and you're still dressed like a Teletubby. I mean, and it was just like the whole thing was like this clown show. And he tried very hard on SmackDown to do that with Jimmy as well, Jimmy Uso. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, hold on a minute, Cena. You you just come in from your from that other world that you were part of. And, like, don't you pollute the waters of this Bloodline storyline that they spent years building up? You know, I know you were helpful and you put Reigns over, but that was a long time ago now. So don't bring your comedy to this. 
And um, I mean, he was, I don't think he overshadowed the match between Miz and Nia. I actually thought it was okay. You're right, it was too long. Um, but I felt like they really pulled it together at the end. Um, you know, Knight kicked out of school crushing finale and then won after a big elbow and blunt force trauma. And um, yeah, it could have been shorter and it could have been more intense, but I actually thought the match was fine. And I thought the finish of it went down very well. And it, I, think it, I think it achieved what they wanted it to do in terms of it enhanced LA Knight. That was the goal of this, obviously, the feud. And I think it did do that. Um, after the match, Knight and Cena had a little argument in the aisle, uh, but eventually shook hands. And I was like, phew, I don't want to see <laughs> Cena in a match. Please, no. <laughs> Please, no, we don't want to see a verbal duel between Knight and Cena because that could end badly for Knight. So hopefully that's their last interaction on screen. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, we then have Rey Mysterio against Austin Theory for the US title. They go about 10 minutes. Rey Mysterio gets the win. I mean, it was pretty forgettable stuff, to be honest. Oh, this was flat, wasn't it? I think, but I think, I think, I think that, you know, for me, I, I think that the early night Miz match, it didn't kill the crowd, but it definitely sedated them a bit. They came alive at the end, like you say, but they were kind of, you know, I don't think they were thinking that was going to be a 15 minute match. And then they're kind of recovering from that. And then Mysterio comes out here with Theory. Nobody buys Theory's got a chance, which actually, funnily no. enough, it's it back to John Cena, so it doesn't matter if he beats him or not. But um, see, the, the Cena reverberations are still felt in the next match <laughs> six months later. The is, right? I'm the last person you would think out there on planet Earth, you know, <laughs> or who inhabits planet Earth, would try and defend Cena for that theory, you know, promo, you know, big promo match followed by the match at WrestleMania. But I sort of did do when Cena put theory over. And like, but I mean, you know, look at the wreckage he's left behind. And I mean, a lot of, some of this, I think is WWE's doing as well in that. It's not all all Cena. It's it's not fair to put all of it on him, but you know, he. It's like they forgot about theory, wasn't it? It's like, oh, well, he's had the match with Cena. And instead of building on that big win, they kind of ignored him. And it's been strange, hasn't it? Ever since WrestleMania, for theory. Yeah, it has. But um, yeah, this was this was forgettable. Rey Mysterio retains. There's not really much else to say. Um, we then had the, as you mentioned earlier, the Steel City Street Fight with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn against Damian Priest and Finn Balor. For the you should just tech. mention that Tiffany Stratton gate crashed Becky Lynch's promo. She did. So I thought it was after that. Yeah, it was here that that happened. So, and Becky kind of has said, you know, you should be focused on your title match on Tuesday. So it appears we're going to build something with them, which I'm not, I'm not against yeah. it. I think that'd be good for Stratton, you know? Oh, to- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I thought Str- Stratton must have, must have taken some nerve to show up there and be cocky after watching that match that Lynch just put on with Tristratus. Yeah. I mean, that must have taken some nerve to go in there. You'd have to be well in character, you know, to to, to try and put Lynch down, which he obviously did on the promo. And then Lynch fired back. And yeah, we presume Lynch is going to be on NXT tonight, I would imagine. Yeah. Well, I mean, Stratton's probably over the moon that she's going to be involved with somebody from the main roster who's just come off you know, a match of the night, really hot match. You know, it's not yeah. like Stratton's got to work with Corbin. You know, it's not like she's, she can be a bit excited about what she's not. You know, <laughs> Corbin's doing good stuff in NXT, I know, but, you know, I, Becky Lynch is like, if you're, a, if you're a female performer, you couldn't really ask for any better than getting a, a, a mini program with Lynch. So, oh, no. Um, 
Anyway, so then we get the street fight for the tag team titles. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn against uh, Finn Balor and Damian Priest. And Balor and Priest were able to get the win. JD McDonough gave an assist. He took one of the best bumps I've ever seen on that announce table. It just looked so good. Um, I mean, this was just a, an absolute riot. Such a laugh. Um, and yeah, it was a, a really... Probably the, probably the best title defence that... Um, that Owens and Zayn have, have had uh, on on American soil. I know they had that, you know, the big Night of Champions match, but I mean, this was just like the crowd were so into it. Yeah, it was really good. I mean, you know, Zayn and Owens sort of had the we're doing the job faces on. I mean, they weren't exactly beaming when they were in the ring before <laughs> Balor and Priest arrived, so they rather gave the game away there. And uh, but I mean, this was all action. All sorts of extras and add-ons and twists and turns that we didn't see coming and spots and stunts that you know you only see maybe a couple of times a year in WWE, and that made them all the more memorable. I mean, Kevin Owens is swan on, you know, off that balcony onto Dom Dominic Mysterio, of course, running as well. Little Jeff uh, Hardy had- nod from Rumble Two Thousand. Rumble 2000, yes, onto the table. I mean, he showed it. How many times did he show that? About five, about four or five different camera angles. Yeah. I mean, that looked amazing. I mean, the production crew, you could see, this is the thing I like about WWE and the way they present TV. The amount of thought that went into filming that one spot, you just think about how much thought and time and effort went into it. You know, you're like, wow, you know, that's a professional organisation. And they really just portrayed that move and just that's a highlight reel for Kevin Owens forever, that that spot there. Um, so, yeah, Dominic Mysterio interfered. Rhea Ripley did a run in, run in as well. She ended up spearing Owens through the timekeeper's wall into the timekeeper's area. Um, and then Balor pinned Zayn um, after Dominic had drilled Zayn with the Money in the Bank briefcase. So it was, yeah, five against two, essentially. Um, but I mean, I'm pleased that Balor and Priest won. I mean, I was hesitant to, you know, allow myself to believe last week that this victory would occur, that Balor and Priest would defeat Zayn and Owens. But I think this is, you know, a just reward for Balor for putting Seth Rollins over. And I think it's a good way of extending the Judgment Day storyline, which I'm sure we'll talk about more on Thursday, Kenny. Yeah, 100%. And it, I, to me, it was the right decision. They've got better options with challengers as the heels and the, the Judgment Day storyline is the top storyline on Raw. So I have no problems with it. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, it was a great shot afterwards, wasn't it? With like Rhea, Dom, Bala, Priest. They got the briefcase, all the belts and all the pyro went off. And that just looked amazing. Yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, then we had the Grayson Waller effect with Cody Rhodes. Waller had been building on the kickoff show that Cody had a big announcement. So Cody, I mean, he did uh, he did go on a bit, but he finally got to his point, which was that um, he uh, he's cashed in whatever political chips he has, and he hopes he knows what he's doing, and he introduces Jey Uso as the newest member of the Raw roster. Jey Uso comes out. Uh, Waller is, you know, Sasson Jay already, and of course Jay takes him out to super kick before he can sort of finish uh, slating him. Cody's watching from the stage. Jay's celebrating, so um, Jay's now going to be on Monday Night Raw. What did you think of this announcement? 
I mean, the audience were pleased to see him. I mean, I just think it was kind of a blown opportunity with Jay. It, I'm having CM Punk to 2011 flashbacks. We've I got, quit. We've got three weeks this time. Sorry, Kenny. We got three weeks this time. So we went from well, eight to <laughs> slowly but surely getting more. He could, I mean, why couldn't he just make an appearance for Impact? You know, he could have made an appearance for Impact this weekend at the 1000 episode special. I mean, they would have been able to arrange that for sure. And that would have yeah. been a real boost for Impact. I mean, Impact's never going to be a threat to WWE. So, I mean, they could have arranged that. And that would, that would have been a win-win for Jay, for Impact, and for this storyline. And instead, they brought him back at Payback. So, you know, also, I'm disappointed. Sorry, Ken. So also, like, I know that in, with wrestling, you kind of have to accept that not everything makes sense. But because on Raw... You know, spoiler for Thursday. Adam Pierce says that there's been a trade with SmackDown or like a trade compensation for, uh, you know, Jay going to Raw, and it's like, but Jay quit. Jay quit the company. So in theory, yeah. Jay, this would be Jay re-signing with WWE, which I know is like a small plot point, but you know, when you do stuff like this, like the Punk thing that you mentioned before, it's kind of because it's very hard to make it make sense. You kind of have to be very delicate with like trying to make it all fit um and they're lucky that they're so hot right now that people just love jay and are happy to see him back so if they weren't as hot i think this would probably not go over as well but because people are loving WWE right now they're kind of able to get away with this not really being as interesting as it could have been yeah i mean it reminds me of wwf in 98 99 you go back and you actually you watch that week to week which you did on for the retro podcast and lots of it was nonsensical and you sit there and you're like, what's going on here? Why has this person done that? You know, why has this person attacked this person? Why would that makes no sense? But the product was so over, people were so into it, um, you know, that they were effectively blind to the f- numerous faults that occurred week after week. Um, and especially, you know, in contrast, when WCW started badly unraveling in 99, you know, WWF looked like the most logical, you know, brilliantly booked wrestling <laughs> company in the history of the business. So, I mean, on one hand, I'm pleased that he's returned because he is over. But I just feel like, you know what, you could have waited a few more weeks. You could have done the impact thing. And I just feel like I would have massively enhanced the storyline. You know, an impact, I'm sure, would have found a spot for Jay for 10 minutes. I'm sure they would have done, Kenny. They, they would have you- bet their hand off for it. You know, exactly. They would have been like, "Do you want me to beat our world champion? We don't care. <laughs> Bring JS over." You know, that's it. In fact, he can just have a gauntlet match and beat everyone on the roster. Yeah, get him to turn up on Raw with the Impact title, throw it in the bin. You know, all press is good press. But no, yeah, it would have been it would have been very easy for them to set up. And um, yeah, shame they didn't do it. Uh, we then got Rhea Ripley and Raquel Rodriguez for the women's world title. I had high hopes for this. I was hoping it was going to be really good. And it was, it was okay, but it didn't hit anywhere near the heights that I thought it was going to. They went 17 minutes, and in the end, Rhea Ripley retained. The crowd were very quiet for this. Why, why didn't it work, do you think? Well, it was a really tough match, and lots of it was very well executed. And I just liked the way that they were like daring each other to nail the other, and they were really blasting each other, and they weren't doing any sort of silly or phony moves it all felt like you know it felt like a pro wrestling fight at times i think the problem here is that raquel rodriguez 
is not over. The fans don't have a connection with her. I think fans um, would have resented her had she beaten Rhea Ripley for that championship. So I think the outcome was the right outcome on the night for Raquel. We've been saying since she arrived that this character needs a lot of work. You know, we need to have a reason to root for her. They haven't given us one yet. Um, and it just felt like, yeah, there was no support at all for Raquel to become champion. I think it's just that simple. You know, I think Rhea Ripley, as long as she, I mean, she's uh, when she's a member of the Judgment Day, people will boo her. But people, I think, are itching to cheer her because they respect her. She's a really good character. She's great on promos. She can do the wrestling thing. She's an all, you know, she's the all-round total package as a female wrestler. And we know it's going to be Ripley, Becky Lynch, but that's either going to be Royal Rumble or WrestleMania. So they can't do it now. And in the interim, Rhea and Becky um, have got to have matches with, you know, other people. And I'm not quite sure how they're going to fill the time before, you know, Ripley and uh, and Lynch come face to face and start the hype for their big match. Um but yeah, this to me should have been should be a wake up call for WWE. We said it again and again. Raquel Rodriguez, they need to just they need to come up with a character for her that people are going to root for and going to get behind. She doesn't have that yet, and until she does, she's just going to meander. She's just going to be in this same sort of second match spot without any sort of support, and that's that's a real shame to see. Yeah, I think the the the, the fault of this match lies firmly with WWE and their horrible booking of Raquel Rodriguez and what she. I mean, she's just nobody's written for her because also Rhea Ripley's very cool. She's such a yeah. cool character and like you almost although so this this will kill you. So we were watching the show and one of our friends said something and as soon as he said it, I can't get it out of my head. He said that Rhea Ripley's new look reminds her of No Fielding. I was like, oh my god! All right, and now I can't unsee it. Now look at Rhea Ripley's hairstyle and I just look like a Noel Fielding. Yeah, no. Anyway, um, not the not the best uh, compliment. Uh, we got a John Cena cameo, kind of playing a Southpaw wrestling character interview Damien Priest and Finn Balor. They kind of no sold Cena, which was the best thing they could do. I mean, it was um, by that like Cena like bent down to make himself look smaller, didn't he? It's yeah. I mean, he just he, to him coming to coming to WWE is like going to go to Center Parks or something in the summer. Do you know what I mean? It's a wee holiday for him. You know, not a serious bone in his body. He might as well have a beach ball and a bucket and spade. <laughs> he might as well be walking around like throwing custard pies in people's faces. <laughs> that's right. That's he the vibe. Okay. So that's... Like, I mean, he was like dressed up like a clown. Clown car with the doors blowing <laughs> off. I mean, book it, WWE. That's what I say. Well, we've got eight weeks of them, so we'll see what we get. Um, and then it was main event time. We saw Great Muta was in the front row. Obviously, been put in the Hall of Fame, and Nakamura had one of Muta's last matches with him earlier this year, so it was a nice wee touch. Um, yeah. So we've got Rollins and Nakamura for the World Heavyweight title. They ended up going uh, about 26 minutes. It was a long match. Ooh, and um, what did you think of it? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was it was too long. I mean, you know, that's the case of stating the bleeding obvious, isn't it? Um, I mean, I thought it was okay. Um, I... I mean, I think if it had been like 17, 18 minutes, it would have been better received than it was. I mean, I like the story they told. We knew what the story was going to be before the bell rang. We'd known for ages. Knack um, targeting Rollins' back and Rollins selling it. And, you know, they did a lot of stuff outside the ring. And 
there was. I mean, I thought the match actually was was actually pretty good in terms of the execution and the story and the build and everything. But I think they were out there too long. And the other problem they had was that no one believed that Nakamura was going to win. You know, and that was another thing that Raquel Rodriguez, that was something else that was holding her back. I just don't think people believed in her title quest. I think most people, there's no way for like Raquel's not beating Rhea Ripley. And um, and when people think that way, it's very difficult to convince them otherwise, isn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? When it's so obvious who's going to win, you're swimming upstream from the off. So, yeah, I mean, the, the the obstacle here of booking them in this match that lasted more than 25 minutes, I don't understand that at all, Kenny. But um, it was, yeah, it was okay. And, um, you know, Nakamura, you know, feels like he means more than he has in a very long time. And he feels like a productive member of the roster again. So, I mean, it wasn't a total waste. Um, but, yeah, if they, when they book that rematch, which they're obviously going to do, please keep it under 20 minutes. Yeah, the rematch is coming, and hopefully it'll be under 20 minutes. Um, overall, I thought Payback was a, was an okay show. I think it has, for me anyway, I don't want to speak for you, I think it has ended WWE's streak of like amazing pay-per-views or PLEs, but it was still, there was decent stuff on it, but I think this was just one that, you know, there was, I mean, if, if somebody said to me, what do I need to see? I would just say the street fight and the opener, really. Yeah, <clears throat> um, I agree. So, but yeah, I thought it was okay overall. Yeah, I thought I thought it was I thought it was a good show, but I mean, the standards that they've set this year have been so high. This was definitely below the you know what we expect from WWE or have have come to expect from WWE in 2023. Mm-hmm. And but I think going into it, we we didn't think it was going to be anything more than it was. I actually think the show was better than I thought it would be. So it was a pleasant surprise to me. I think overall. Pleasant surprise. Well, listen, before we go, um, you can get full AEW All Out uh, review coverage on Patreon with myself, Sandra, and Robert. We're recording a big podcast tonight about that, so you'll get the full shebang in there. But um, before that, I did. I know you've had a chance to watch, watch some of it. Now, which one is, what were your things that stuck out to you from All Out, either good or bad, that were worth just a mention before we go? Well, I know, Kenny, what the highlight of the show was for you. Yeah. I mean, you, you haven't said this to me, but I know. Okay. CJ Perry, the former I, Lana, makes her AEW debut. I, she did, and she came out, you know, during, you know, to 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 get get to Miro, and she wanted to sell so much that she just thought she'd take a wee bow from the audience before she came down to the ring. Like she <laughs> she bumped into Jeff Hardy. Is, this is while Powerhouse Hobbs is beating up her husband. Yeah, it's like when Jeff Hardy made his debut for AEW, and he, you know, came out to save Matt, and he stopped and did his, you know, wacky poses, and then ran out of the ring. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh God! I mean, but then you know what? It's it's very CJ Perry, isn't it? You know. She... Oh yes, course it is. Course it is. So she's turned up at last. People have been wondering for a very long time when she was going to join AEW, and. I don't know whether she's going to be making any further appearances, but she made an appearance at All Out. Um, well, I mean, I, I enjoyed a lot of the show. I mean, I, I really, you know, congrats. I said that if Kenny Omega put... Uh, Takeshita uh, over. Yeah, yeah, Takeshita over, which he did do. 
I mean, I thought that was very well done that match. You know, I mean, I just thought that was one of the best things on the show because the outcome was so decisive. Omega did the job. I didn't think he would lose like that, especially after the, you know, fluke roll-up finish at Wembley Stadium. But this was a clean, decisive, you know, constructive win for Takeshita. So, yeah, I was very pleased to see that. I thought John Moxley versus Orange Cassidy was the best Moxley match I've seen in I don't know how long. I mean, that could have been the best Moxley match I've seen in years. I thought it just felt like a serious match with selling and it flowed and made sense and wasn't just filled with like gimmicks and, you know, big moves that people kicked out of unnecessarily. Um, Also, it was Cassidy who bled, not Moxley. So that was a pleasant surprise. Obviously, it wasn't pleasant pleasant for Cassidy, but (laughs) it was something different at least. Um, So Moxley won the international title there. And... um, your big um, big hand for Cassidy afterwards. I mean, he really um, soaked up the cheers and the audience really gave him a lot of respect afterwards. So that was really nice to see. I'm not a huge fan of the Cassidy character, but he's a very consistent performer in the ring. And um, I think he's done very well in AEW, uh, much better than I thought he would do. And, um, you know, just that silly comedy stuff. A lot of people don't like that. I'm not really a huge fan of it either, but it doesn't bother me as much as I know it bothers some people. Yeah. So I, th- I, so I thought that was well done. Um, Danielson versus Ricky Starks. Um, I mean, that was a tough match for Danielson. He bled. I mean, I mean, Starks lost. He passed out. So I mean, they really. I thought they really protected Starks on the finish. You know, I think Starks has done well this year. I thought the CM Punk feud was a real career enhancer for him. And I think he'll probably benefit from this as well, even though he lost. Um, I also, good, also, like- also, also, also good for him that on the, uh, the, the, the post-show scrum that Danielson had sort of said that like for his schedule, it's better for him to work Saturdays than Wednesdays. So... Yeah. You know, his TV matches that he's going to have are, are mainly going to be on collision whenever he has them. So that's going to be good for somebody like Starks because they could revisit this down the road if they want to. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think Chris Statlander versus Ruby Soho, I don't think either's got really any star power, but I thought the match was was certainly towards the end. Seemed very solid, uh, well put together. Um, I mean, apart from, well, the finish was kind of confusing with Soraya distracting the referee and then Tony Storm acting irrationally, you know, Statlander scored the pin. But I thought prior to that, I thought Statlander, Statlander and Soho, you know, did themselves proud there. Um, Luchasaurus beat Darby Allen. That was probably the only result I objected to was um, Luchasaurus retaining against Allen. And we had, um, you know, we had like a interference, of course, before the finish. So that was about the only match that I didn't really like. But I think overall, I thought it was a good show. That may be the most praised AEW show you've ever given on this podcast. So there you go. Yeah, uh... yeah I think you're probably right. And um, also, I just want to mention FTR of the Young Bucks versus the Guns, Jay White, Juice Robinson. Each time <laughs> on Mick Jackson entered the ring, they were booed out of the building. 
Oh yeah. man, that was hilarious. That amused me. That did amuse me greatly. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of this match. It seemed like the audience were kind of ignoring the match, and fans were amusing themselves with certain chants. I'm not imagining things there. No, okay. no. no, you're not. You're not. And the thing is, like, there, there is this kind of discourse, that, and I just want to say this quickly before before we we go. But like, um, there's this discourse at the moment about because All Out was was a really good show. It was a really good show. They pulled it out of the bag. It was very impressive. But the, the build to it and the booking of the matches was bad. And I think that the there has to be this kind of difference in conversation of, because I know that Anthony Bowens and John Silver and a few other AEW wrestlers have kind of spoken out. And I get it from their point of view because they're the wrestlers and they're there to do everything they can to entertain us when we were watching these shows. So and, they, the, and, the, and the team players. This goes, you know, it's a collective responsibility here. Yeah. If you EW, you should be saying those things. You are not an objective observer. You are a member of the squad, and it's your job to put the company over in public. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I think there's this thing where, like, some people who 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 really just think that EW did no wrong are sort of saying, "Well, you know, look, look, they, they proved that, that you know they delivered on the on the night." It's, yeah, but delivering on the night is different from. Uh, given a good build and telling a story that, that goes over multiple pay-per-views or PLEs or whatever it is. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I always think about WrestleMania 31 as, as the prime example of WWE as a horribly built-up show. Most of the big matches were really badly built. But on the night, it really delivered. But you can't do that all the time because if you do, eventually people are going to cotton on to it. So, and I've even seen people, you know, commentators like Michael Sidgwick at What Culture is an example who are saying, who are saying the same, who are going, look, I, I, you know, and he wrote a thing where he just wrote, "Here's five matches. It's not hard to book five matches that will be good on the night. That that's different from booking. Booking is different for a, t- a promotion where you've got six hours of weekly TV to just doing something on the night and making people happy. So, I think that's that's part of the discourse that's going on, which I think is important. But um, I think they they definitely delivered on the show. Um, and yeah, I think I think for the most part the results were right. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, there was, there was. I mean, we had the. I mean, there was quite a lot of blood. I think they go totally over the top on the blood in AEW, but there wasn't too many gimmicky matches here. I mean, we had the strap match, um, but I mean, you know, most of the rest of the show it was kind of straight matches, and I just think a lot of time you've got a lot of excess in AEW, yeah. and it, I just find it draining, and I just feel like you know, don't. Just don't do all those like stunts in match number one or on the pre-show. It's like you don't need that. You know, you're burning the crowd out. It's like you know, save that for matches further up or matches which really need it. Don't do it just because you can. You know what I mean? So I felt like this was more of a streamlined show, which showed more booking discipline than we normally get from AEW. So you know, props to them for that. You know, I think the, the the show deserves praise for sure. But I agree with you all about all the things. You just said about not, you know, this was not very well promoted because, of course, they had the Wembley show the previous weekend. Um, I mean, I hope they don't do the same thing next year. Obviously, they're playing Wembley next year, but you don't need to run a big show the following weekend in the States. I mean, why would you do that to yourself? I have no idea. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a headache for you to do because even the best, even the best booker of all time, whoever you think that is, if you gave that to and said, right, here's what you need to do. It's like that's a tough gig to try and yeah, do that. It, I mean, it's just overkill, isn't it? It's just oversaturation. They're already putting out a lot of TV each week, as we know, 
and it's just too much product and like you know just do the Wembley show you don't need to do do the all in you don't need to do the all out as well we'll see what they do but listen that's all the time we've got for today we'll be back on Thursday to talk about Raw talk about all the news that's going on in wrestling there'll be lots to discuss um, you can of course uh, pick up the new issue of the magazine uh, issue 36 with Jay Uso on the cover at InsideTheRopesMagazine.com we're all doing hard at work on the next issue so we'll have more about that in the next couple of weeks uh, but yeah Finn I hope that you enjoy your day and, and hopefully we'll, on Thursday we'll have some maybe some news we can tell people we don't want to tell them today Yes, we shall see. All I can say, folks, is think about F. Martin at 10 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time tonight. (laughs) Uh, Yes, let's keep those fingers crossed. Spare a thought. Spare a thought. So thank you for all your support, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.